Hey everybody, welcome to episode 137 of the Masterclass. My name is Cam. I'm joined yet again by Dave Hogue. What's up, man? Hey everybody, how you doing? I think they just said they're doing somewhere in between worst day ever and best day ever. <laughs> somewhere on that spectrum, right? Yeah, I'm just, just guessing. I figure that's a wide enough net that I probably caught most people. <laughs> so Cam, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm doing good. Feeling good, staying super busy, trying to get ahead of the the curve on a few uh, things with like the youth group and stuff at home and just, I oh, here's, here, okay, really dumb story. My yard is, uh, let's see, my front lawn is probably 12 feet deep and like maybe like 30 feet wide mm-hmm. with like a tiny little boulevard and my backyard is probably like. 50 or 60 feet deep and maybe like 30 feet wide. So it doesn't take long to mow at all, right? Well, my lawnmower, scratch that. My neighbor, who is also my landlord, who's also my wife's dad's cousin, uh, we were using her lawnmower and it died last time. So my grass is like a foot long because it's just been raining because it's spring, right? And so my father-in-law came over and we got the old John Deere ride-on tractor up and running. You know, because it was her dad's and hasn't been used in years, but we got it working again. And so here I am in the middle of like my urban home setting, you know, everything's crammed together, riding this ridiculously large John Deere tractor mowing my postage stamp of a lawn. <laughs> that was my, uh, what's the phrase for that? Not ironic. I mean, maybe a little bit, but like people were watching me because I had to go mow the back and then go out the back, go down the alley, go around to the front of the house on the sidewalk. <laughs> I'm just like, it's made for like, you know, <laughs> a- acreage yeah, and not for like, literally it takes me 30 minutes tops to mow the lawn with a push mower. Yes. And that's only cause I have to do like different areas. But I mean, <laughs> I just, I felt I'm like in my work clothes, just sitting on this thing. I felt like such a entitled, like, <laughs> waste of space but i was like well you know it's either this or the lawn doesn't get mowed and it becomes you know an actual foot long instead of like the six inches it was but so that was my moment of of uh, internal thought today as i'm mowing my lawn it's just like this is the most stupid over oh what's the word overpowered solution like tim allen style you know more power Anyways, not relevant to anything. I just had that thought today of like, there are people watching me right now judging me hardcore because they think I'm doing this. They think that this is my choice, that I bought this stupid tractor to to mow my lawn (laughs) because it's just too hard to push a mower. And I wanted to be like, no, you don't understand. It broke. This is just (laughs) so you don't call the city on me. So it's interesting that you say that because you actually caught yourself is that I recently read an article where the word irony or ironic is the most misused word in the English language. And in the article that I read, they kind of beat up on old uh, Alanis Morissette and her (laughs) 90s hit, Isn't It Ironic? And basically said not once does she use that term correctly in that song. Well, maybe it's the Canadian definition of There you go. Yes, she is Canadian. So we'll give her a pass. You know, Canadian English, American English, very different. Well, I mean, they're a boot the same, but there's a few <laughs> differences. All right. Ooh, dad joke in. Anyways, 
I think before I take that too far down the trail we don't want to go into, we are going to jump into Romans 9. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. So, would you like me to read? But of course. But of course. Okay. So, I'm going to read Romans 9. We're going to go verses 1 through 18. And as you have experienced with us before, we may or may not get to all of that. And we may sort of just acknowledge that some of it is fairly self-explanatory and not spend a lot of time discussing it. So, here we go. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unseeking anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the world of God, the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall all your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are, are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Though they were not born and had done, had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens who whomever he wills. Thank you, sir. Yeah. There's a lot to, uh, to discuss here. Um, so I think the best way to sum up the first portion of this is like, Paul's a Jew. He wishes that he could be cut off for the sake of his, you know, kinsmen, his family, his, his fellow Jews that have not, um, come to faith like he has them being Israelites, all of they have all this history with God. Like as you said in, in episode one thirty five, when God plays favorites, like he has a chosen people. He does uh, you know, choose the Jews and give them, you know, this this great uh play or part in, in um the history of redemption. You know, he says the the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving the law, the worship, the promises, the patriarchs, and even from their own, 
you know, flesh, their, their own uh, offspring and ethnicity comes Jesus in uh, bodily form. But it's not enough just to be a Jew. Mm-hmm. And that's where he gets to in, in the, the latter parts. And I think that's, that's at least where I want to start focusing. I think the first five verses are just Paul saying, hey, wish I could help you out. You know, you have all these amazing, you know, pieces of history in, in, in parts, but like we're post-Jesus now, so things have changed and, and what, what's important has changed. And so I guess, are, are you cool with, do you have anything else you want to say on the first five verses? No, I'm good. I'm good with us jumping over those first five verses. Cool. And then in six, he says, but it's not as though the word of God has failed. Like, it's not like the Old Testament was broken, and that's why all of these people mm-hmm. haven't decided to follow Jesus, right? Yes. It's like, no, it's, it's not because the word of God has failed. Um, and then he goes on to explain why, right? Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So just because, and, and, and here, there's like a little wordplay going on. Not all who are descended from Israel. So not all people who are Israelites by birth belong to Israel, a.k.a. God's chosen people. Like, there's a difference there, right? Yep. One, one is, one is your, your ethnicity, your heritage, like, you know, your family tree, and the other is your belonging in the kingdom of God, which are two different things. Not all are children of Abraham because they are, because they are his offspring, uh, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And, like, that didn't make sense to me at first, right? Sure. Um, like, well, Isaac is Abraham's <laughs> son, so... But he explains in verse 8, this means that it is not the children of flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. And I want to sit there for a second, because, again, I was like, what is he talking about? Like, Isaac... And then I remembered, oh yeah, duh, Abraham brings Isaac up onto the Mount Moriah, I believe it's called, and he doesn't really tell Isaac what's going on, just get this stuff, get this stuff, they build this altar... God will provide, you know, the sacrifice. God will provide the lamb. He gets ready to sacrifice Isaac. God says, okay, great. You believed it. Boom. Here's a sacrificial lamb to take the place of your son. Sacrifice the lamb instead, which is obviously like the biggest allusion to Jesus, I think, up to that point yes. in scripture. So when he talks about Isaac being uh, the ch- uh, child of the promise, right? The promise of the one that's to come. So Isaac was literally the physical representation of sin in this case, or us, really, like, you know, we're the ones being placed on the altar to sacrifice, uh, be sacrificed for, our, for our, our sins, God provides the substitution, God provides the sacrificial lamb in Jesus, and so with that swap happening there, God is foreshadowing what he's going to do through Jesus for the rest of his people, be they, you know, Israelites or Gentiles, and it's really interesting to think that, yes, Isaac is Abraham's son by birth, but he's also part of, you know, Israel, as in God's chosen people, as in Abraham's family, in God's kingdom, like spiritual family, because he represents the children that have been saved by the promise of Jesus. Yes. (laughs) I don't think I breathed that whole time. Not important, just thought I'd point it out. (laughs) So yeah, there there is kind of this um, in those first verses an element of, you know, the Jews kind of had this. They felt like they had a birthright. This element of 
we're God's chosen people. We're going to be saved. And as I read this, to me, there's, there's an element of, there's more to it than just that. Like just being Jewish and being Abraham's descendants does not mean that you're saved. There's, there's certainly this, there's, there's more going on uh, than just that. So not to, to spend a lot of time on those verses, but to me, that's what I, I, I think is, is present in these verses of, and as we'll get into with, with Abraham and Jacob and Esau, and, he's in, and even as we're looking at this, and we're talking about it, I know for me, personally, boy, <laughs> so I've never really understood Jacob and Esau. I've never mm-hmm. understood the whole, why the younger superseded the older in the birthright. And there was kind of an element of like, this seems goofy to me. Him. What's that? That's because he bought it from him for a bowl of soup. Yeah, it it, it always seemed really goofy to me. But as we're, we're taking a look at this verse tonight, I, I am truly having this sort of aha moment of, you know, we're talking about the Jewish people here. And, and they're then, Esau. Yes. And then we're talking about mm-hmm. the Gentiles, the people who did not have the birthright per se, and yep. being accepted into, and uh, so yeah, uh, you learn something every day, and God continually speaks to us, and I'm truly having this, this I, I guess I just have to confess that this may be truly obvious to a lot of people, but for me, I have always kind of just questioned that whole Jacob and Esau, and, and why God did what he did in that, and it always seemed kind of goofy to me that he could he could deceive his father that way and earn the birthright, but I think there's 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 something far more significant going on and far more important going on here in terms of just that I guess the way I would sum it up is the birthright doesn't mean much like if that's what you're hanging on to that's that is not don't uh hitch your wagon to the birthright because that's not going to be enough and maybe i'm wrong in that i don't know but that's what what stands out to me i think there's two like two ways to look at the whole birthright thing like if we look at different places in scripture like we look at this one and the birthright's just given up for literally a bowl of soup or lentils or like you know whatever that would be back then and then you look at like the story of the prodigal son is like, give me my birth right now. I want everything yeah. that I'm owed and I'm going to go take it and I'm going to go, you know, spend it. And then you also look at like the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are like just out on the streets flaunting how good, uh, you know, how good they are at being Jews. And like, so there's all these different takes on it, but none of them really hit other than taking what you have that, that major storyline in, in redemptive history and taking it to its ultimate conclusion, which is Jesus at the cross, and then letting mm-hmm. that completely transform what it means to be one of God's chosen people. And it's not necessarily about the birthright anymore, so much as it is about the new birth that happens after Jesus. Mm-hmm. It is one of those things, like, you know, I remember growing up asking my parents, like, well, if Jesus came back, why is Judaism still a thing? Because, like, that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> well, it's still a thing because there are people that have concluded that while Jesus may have been a swell fella, 
he wasn't the Messiah, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they're still looking, still waiting. And I, I, you know what I would really like to do is I would really like to sit down with a rabbi and just have him explain from the Jewish perspective what they think about Jesus, why they think it, why he wasn't the Messiah. And not to like combat, just to like generally learn. Because like I had I had Jewish friends growing up, but they were like much like the Israelites here, like Jewish by by name or um, you know, ethnicity, mm-hmm. and less so by less so by faith. So I never really had the opportunity to learn about, you know, going to a temple or, or, you know, what all that looks like. But that, I should I should try and find a rabbi around here. <laughs> and just see if he'll let me pick his brain. Yeah, I don't know, I agree. And if I do, I want to ask see if he'll let me record it so we can put it on the show. Ooh, that would be interesting. Yeah, I, um, on a much lesser note, I was recently watching a show on Netflix um, that deals with death, and one of the characters on the show encounters a rabbi, and the rabbi basically just says, there is no heaven, and there is no hell. And it just really struck me as, um, you know, just a very different uh, perspective on things, that that is not how I view the world. and. Many, I, I guess I, I make this assumption that uh, the people that I encounter on a daily basis don't view that w- the world that way either. There's very much a sense of there is a heaven, there is a hell. You end up in one place or the other. And that it, it just struck me that that's not how Jews necessarily view um, our, our time here on earth and, and then what happens to us after we die. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, that would be, so yeah, I, I guess I, I'm just echoing your, it would be curious to kind of uh, be able to have that conversation with somebody that has a strong knowledge of what the Jews believe about scripture and would believe that God has said to them about everything. I very much operate from my perspective on things and not what others would have. Yeah, I hear you there. I hear you. All right, so to continue on in this little Jacob and Esau uh, section, it says, And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, uh, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. And it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau hated. Okay, this, ever since your connection there of Esau to uh, Israel and Jacob to, to Gentiles, which I think is legit. I haven't, you know, studied it, but it sounds right to me when he says that though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good nor bad. So these kids, Jacob and Esau, right? Before they were born, Mm -hmm. before either of them had done anything good or bad or, you know, come to knowledge of sin or knowledge of God, like before, before they even existed in order that God's purpose of election or choosing his people, right? We talked about that a few episodes ago. Yep. Uh, in order that God's purpose of election might continue beyond just naming a group of people, right? But expanding that group of people to contain all of the diverse peoples 
that you know populate this earth not because of works, not because they earned it, right? So that God may, uh, his purpose of choosing people might continue not based on what they do, but based on him himself calling them. She was told, the older will serve the younger. And that's just, I don't know how Paul does this, just so routinely. Just like taking a very, 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 very specific part of the Old Testament and applying it to God's cosmic plan to redeem creation. It just, it blows my mind. (laughs) It blows my mind as well. And that like, this is like somewhat tongue in cheek, but I I, I do, it's gotta be the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. But even as I say that there's, I guess there's that element of, yes, of course it's the Holy Spirit. So ultimately I think what I'm in awe of is Paul's ability to hear from the Holy Spirit, yeah, and then just take what the it. Holy Spirit is 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 teaching him, and then proclaim it as truth, which I wholeheartedly believe it is. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's that element of I don't think Paul is doing it. I think it's 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 the Holy Spirit. And so, I'm repeating myself now. I'm I'm in awe <laughs> of I'm in awe of Paul's ability to hear from the Holy Spirit. And then uh, share it, particularly when you are talking about like this major transition of Judaism, Paul being the Jew of all Jews, and then saying, this is what it means for everyone, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile, for people who are outside of God's chosen people initially, and to receive this and to be able to... um, encounter the living God and have it mean something to you and not just be a lip service, not just be a nice idea, not just be this pleasant, warm, fuzzy thought, but it truly has eternal significance to it. Yeah, for sure. All right. Verse 14 continues. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, of course, right? God is, God is just. That's who he is. That's what he does. Uh, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Is there, this has got to be in the category of sentences that only God can say without it it sounding like you're a complete, oh, how do I say this nicely? I'm struggling. I'm thinking of all the bad ways to say it. A horrible person, right? Yeah. Yeah, because as human beings, this idea of playing, well, I want to say playing favorites, but this idea <laughs> of choosing somebody over somebody else mm-hmm. on what appears to be just random, I can't even think of the word on what I'm saying here, but... Merit? Yeah. Like, why is it that you are doing what you're doing? It just doesn't seem fair. And Oh, okay. Well, can I stop you there? Well, that's... But that's exactly... Yeah, go ahead. Because that's exactly why I used what I said is, mm-hmm. as humans... As people who walk this earth, we have this very much idea of what's fair and what's not fair. Which is hysterical. It is. Absolutely. Like, who, who ever <laughs> planted the idea that anything is fair in our brains? Yeah. Or that it even should be fair? Uh, absolutely. I mean, if, if, we were, if we were so convinced that life should be fair, 
and God was convinced that way as well, he never would have sent Jesus yeah. to die the way that he did for the purposes that he did. And so this, this human concept of, well, that's not fair, is I just, I, of course, as a kid, I wanted it to be fair when it benefited me. And then when it didn't benefit me, I, I wanted it to, you know, not be about fairness. But like, you know, as an adult and now as, as a father of a toddler and, you know, she has a cousin that's seven months younger. And, you know, at that age, there's just a lot of like taking each other's toys and saying, mine, no, <laughs> mine. And like people saying like, oh, you know, you two play fair. And I want to be like, what are, what are we really teaching them? <laughs> like, yes, don't be a jerk to each other. That's I can get on board with that, but like ingraining in them this idea that things are fair and that they should expect them to be fair, I think only ever sets us up for disappointment. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And really puts us in a position to feel hurt or feel taken advantage of or be unprepared for what the world is actually like. So, yeah, so when God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, it's like, it's not about being fair. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm God. And I know that bothers people, but it doesn't bother me. Because if someone can say that and say it in a way that is both true and not mean-spirited, mm -hmm. it's God. Absolutely. I, you know, he... He has his reasons, he has his plans, he has his ability to see beyond what, you know, we can see, right? Yeah. That whole, that whole time thing and being omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient and all that stuff. And so it's just really funny when, when God gets to say these things and it's like, yeah, if I said that, I wouldn't have any friends. But I'm not God, and I would, you know, have mercy on the people that I liked and compassion on the people I liked and not on, you know, and I would, I would abuse that sort of perspective. But when God says that, it's like, well, you're God. I trust you. Right. Inherently. And if you want to have mercy on me, you will. If you want to have compassion on me, you will. And if not, then I have to trust you that what you're doing is right because, well, you're God. Yes. And I think you said it very well that. You know, if anybody else were to do that, it truly wouldn't be fair. But God has that ability, that right to kind of do uh, what he wants to do. And it isn't this just sort of like, well, he's God, so we're going to accept it. There is an implicit sort of righteousness in what he does that allows us to accept it and to be what it is uh, that it is. And it's not just. Again, it's not so much just because of who he is, but he does it in a way that it is righteous. And it's because of, of being God, he has the ability to do it. It's mm -hmm. not that because he's God, we just accept him in doing it. It's no, he does it because he has the ability to do it in a righteous way, in a way that from our perspective doesn't seem fair. But from God's perspective, it is very much uh, a fair action that he takes. Yeah, that's a good distinction in the, just because God's, I mean, 
well, yes, just because God says it, we we should accept it. But it's that's not it totally. And as you said, it's it's the way that He does it that allows us to be like, oh yeah, God's still good. Yeah, I agree. All right, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, thanks be to God, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So here's the question I have about this whole Pharaoh and the hardening of the heart. I took a a class on... Well, one of my professors in college, who I had multiple classes with, Dr. Ed Metters at Taylor University, super top-notch, quality dude, great professor, had an entire book called Pharaoh and the Hardening of the Heart, and this whole concept of God willingly causing Pharaoh, or knowing how Pharaoh would react, depending on your theology, right? <laughs> uh, and allowing pharaoh to continue to harden his heart against god right so continue to make decisions that pushed god pushed him further away from god right pushed him in the opposite direction continue to make decisions instead of repenting and coming to god continue to make decisions to uh barricade himself in his beliefs that he himself you know was a god right and god allows us to happen so that he can show his power to the people of egypt Yes. You know, turn the river into blood and the frogs and like all of the other crazy plagues, the staff into a snake and, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and so what I find curious is that God would, A, do this, not because it's an issue of fairness, but because it's consciously allowing a person to carry on in sin to prove a point which is interesting. And then two, even like saying this where he says, uh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be claimed in all the earth because of your wickedness. And like, I get it. God like has a plan, but it's just, it's really, really interesting to think about. Like God allows Pharaoh to act this way so that it benefits God and actually brings him glory. But, mm-hmm. but what about but what about Pharaoh? <laughs> yes. What about that guy? It, it, and again, I I think there is there's very much this we have this perspective of what is fair and what is not fair. It is certainly not that God is unfair. That is, you know, it's not like we just get to say, well, God's unfair, but he can do what he wants because he's God. That is, that is not the case. But, and I don't, I don't have a good answer here for. <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, that's kind of my point is like, yeah, God will have mercy on who he has mercy on and compassion on who he has compassion on. And there isn't necessarily an explanation that we can grab no. onto that's going to make us be like, oh, right. Okay. That makes a million percent sense to me, because we can't see from God's perspective, we can't think on his level, we can't see all of the, you know, the dominoes that are going to fall, or out of this decision, or all the dominoes that fell that led to this decision, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so it's like one of those where, like, 
we have to, we have to trust God because we know God is good, but we also trust God not only because he's good, but I mean, I guess that's why, but like, there's just the track record, right? Mm-hmm. And when God does things that don't make sense to me or us, like the she bears thing, right? You know, we'll go to, we'll go back in the, uh, the archives of the master class. Why does God let two angry she bears come out and maul 42 people that were making fun of a prophet? <laughs> like there's probably a better way to deal with stupid, you know, young men that are, talking trash to an old guy than having a bear eat them makes a great t-shirt <laughs> but like there's things like that in scripture where you're like or the flood save a bunch of animals kill everybody else and start over there are certain things that happen in scripture where you're like you know I don't think I'm ever going to get an explanation on this that fully satisfies my curiosity or anger or uh, misunderstanding until, you know, I get to heaven and either A, I don't care anymore, or B, I'm able to understand things on a bigger level because God has revealed that sort of stuff to us. But it's just one of those, like, there, there are those scenarios in scripture, and I think this is one of them, where it's just, it's, there aren't great answers. Yeah. I clicked over on my phone, my Bible app to the message, which sometimes helps me understand these verses. And for verses 14 through 18, which they lump together in the message, it says, is that grounds for complaining that God is unfair? (laughs) Not so fast, please. God told Moses, I'm in charge of mercy. I'm in charge of compassion. Compassion does not originate in our bleeding hearts or our moral sweat, but in God's mercy. The same point was made when God said to Pharaoh, I picked you as a bit of a player in this drama of my salvation power. All we are saying is that God has the first word initiating the action in which we play our part for good or ill, ill being bad. And I feel like this might be a bit of a cop-out, but it's truly, I guess, where I land in this of, is just this sense of we want to make it so black and white. The world that we live in wants to make it simple. We want to make it easy. We want to understand it. And uh, we serve a very complex God, a God that we can't understand, which, again, in my opinion, is the way God should be. We shouldn't be able to put him in a box. We shouldn't be able to make it easy. And I, in my heart, I have this sense of that it really is God is doing what is right and God is doing what is just and not simply this, I can because of who I am. Right, 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 right. I don't know. I guess I don't, I want to say more than that, but I don't think I have more than that. And there is kind of this place of, I just have to trust God. And that he is who he says he is. And in my life, I feel like time and time again, he has revealed that. Um, It's not just a, I had a a significant amount of time in the car today. And I was just thinking as I was driving today of just this sense of like, if we were to casually kind of look at the world around us, it really doesn't seem like, at least to me, in my opinion, it doesn't seem like God has much to do with this world. And so if I'm not a Christian, if I'm not somebody that is 
um, desiring to know God, it appeared to me that it would be very easy just to write God off. It would be very easy to say that he doesn't care much for this world. He doesn't, or not even that, he doesn't exist. He's not real. He's not like, how did this even become a thing? And why is it still in a day of 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 science and and being able to explain just about everything why do people continually turn to god and i think in my my reflection in my time alone of just I had this moment of realization that um god desires those who desire him and i don't know that may they may, that may fall short for those of you who are listening, but for me, it was a very just tangible, real moment of God doesn't go where he's not invited. Uh, he desires to be in relationship with those who pursue him, want to know him. I guess I had an element of God saying to me that it's okay that on the surface level, you may not see me. It's okay that on the you know external experience external um appearance that you you know it may not seem like i'm present and boy I, again i just feel like i'm i'm not totally explaining the the moment that i had of just um god really just saying that he will meet those of us who desire him who want to pursue him and there's even kind of this unspoken element of he is pursuing us. He desires us. It isn't a forced thing. It is very much a us coming to that kind of realization that um, we desire God. He desires us. And that uh, if he, if we seek him, he'll reveal himself to us. If we choose not to seek him, then it's not there. And, you know, that conversation that we had, I can't remember if it was one podcast, two podcasts, three pod- podcasts ago of just that um, if we desire to be with God in heaven, then um, we're going to be there. And that uh, this kind of list of doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things really doesn't mean a whole lot. It's kind of that man-made perspective that uh, God doesn't uh, choose to operate from. So, I hope that makes sense. It, it, mm-hmm. it, I, I'm really just sort of speaking from my heart. And like I said, what I kind of experienced today of just God is a big God. As I've said before, he's a sovereign God. He is very much aware of what we are all experiencing and what we're all seeking and that none of it is lost on him and that he will certainly meet us wherever we are in all of that. Agreed. I think that brings us to the end there, sir. Yes. Just want to say to those uh, that are listening, thank you so much for your time and uh, for your willingness to uh, come along uh, with us today on this episode. And there's a bunch of links in the show notes, guys and girls. There's links to the stuff we talked about. There's links to email and Twitter if you want to get in touch. There's links to Patreon if you want to check out what the rewards are for our patrons and what the tiers are if you want to help support this podcast with a few bucks a month. There's a link to a subreddit. There's uh, links to, I don't other stuff, maybe. <laughs> Anyways, the point is, if what you heard this episode 
uh, piqued your interest or there's, you know, things that you want to uh, give feedback on to us, which would be super helpful. Uh, Absolutely. The place to look for all of that stuff is the show notes. So if you're listening on a uh, tablet or mobile phone on a podcast app, the show notes are there. Just swipe around. You'll find them. Uh, if you're on the web, then you're already looking at them. But yeah, you can find everything uh, if you need more details uh, there, or you can go to supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 137, and you'll get everything there in a nice-looking web page. I think that's, uh, that's all I got, sir. All right. I think that's all I got. We appreciate your time. Yes, and thank you to those that support us on Patreon. Still, you guys rock. We really appreciate <laughs> it. And uh, we'll be back next time. Bye. Bye.